Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Scroobius Pip. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode number 53. Um, thank you all for tuning in, guys. Um, it's been a great few few weeks for the podcast, really, with um, the Observer and the Guardian Online declared us the number one podcast um, to listen to on your holidays. So that's nice. Um, if you're listening to this on a beach somewhere, um, go fuck yourself because I'm not getting a holiday this year because I'm too busy. So, yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks for the invite. Um, no, I'm joking, of course. Hope you're having a lovely time and thank you for downloading the podcast. Um, yeah, also the reaction to the birthday special, the, all, all the love I got on my birthday in general, absolutely overwhelming, as ever. You're a lovely bunch of people. Um, but yeah, the reaction to that was amazing. I, it was great to see all the love my mum and my dad got. I mean, that was a, a hell of an emotional podcast. My, um, As you will have heard, I'd imagine, my dad um, kind of teared up and we talked about some stuff that we've never discussed. So that was amazing to do. Um for you guys and in this format and art form so that was yeah that was very enjoyable but then the uh our subsequent domination of the charts because of all the support you guys give was absolutely amazing and that continued through of course with last week's regular because the birthday special was a special on monday and then the regular podcast was a two-parter with greenpeace which again just man what stories and then what reactions from you lot. Thank you so much for the word of mouth spreading and just all the wonderful um, stuff you've done there to support the podcast and to get the message out. Um, I should get a sponsor out of the way first. SpeechDevelopmentRecords.com. That's my record label. Go check us out. I've recently topped up on all T-shirts because for some reason I'd, I'd let it slip and, hadn't, and someone just messaged me going, it's a shame you've only got small and and double XL in that particular t-shirt and I was like what and then I looked and we were out of everything so I've topped up all the t-shirts for the summer um and the sun is actually out now the summer's actually been sneaking in and out so you could get the barbecue apron for example or a cap to keep the sun out of your eyes I mean an ideal combination I'll tell you this now um would be to get the barbecue apron for barbecuing but you don't want to get burnt so you pop the cap on to to give your face some shade because you, you don't want to be just typically British and come away with a bright red face. Um, but then you probably want something. It's always awkward at the barbecue of where to put your, your utensils. So you could buy um, a Scroobius Pit mug and use that to pop your utensils in. Um, problem there being barbecues need music. You've probably already had a good listen to all of my records, but. but B. Dolan's Kill the Wolf album came out recently um, and he's got an upcoming tour where he's coming all over the UK and Europe so check that out at bdolan.net um, but yeah you could buy the B. Dolan record the vinyl's finally out sorry about the delay but yeah you could buy that on vinyl or, or I mean you could buy it on CD and you could buy 10 copies on vinyl and use the vinyl as plates at your barbecue so there's that um, you could also I mean, everyone needs a T-shirt, so you could wear T-shirts under your apron. So basically, you could spend probably two to three hundred quid to really kit yourself out for the summer. The vest, you should get the vest, actually. Forget the T-shirts, the vest. So the vest with the apron and the hat and the mug for your utensils and the B. Dolan record for your music. And you've got 
a hell of a British barbecue right there. SpeechDevelopmentRecords.com. Come check us out. Um, this week's podcast is frankly fantastic. Um, and I don't mean any, that's not any any a boast on my part because I had had very uh, little to do with it. The, the, this was a lovely one. I was in. Um, I was. Go- I knew I was going to be in Bath um, a few weeks back. I was recording the track for the actually yeah. Um, one of our most popular podcasts has been the Refugee Week special uh, with a, a, a Ramel, which was episode um, forty. Two, um, actually, I should mention that you should really have a listen to that because there's so much in the press right now talking about these hordes of immigrants coming over and swarming the UK at Calais and all this kind of thing. That podcast is a really good insight to the actual experience of an immigrant and the actual um, a, a real putting a face to the term of immigrants and refugees. Um, I mean, also the Independent and numerous other um, papers or online sites as well have recently done breakdowns of the inaccuracies in the facts being thrown about about immigrants and about the um the troubles at calais and the the 2000 attempts a week or whatever it is which is inaccurate um there are 2,000 attempts, but it was implying that 2,000 people each day or each week are trying to get through. Um, on average, it's, it, I mean, it's increased from about 150 to 200, 300 uh, trying to get through, but the attempts thing is multiple attempts by a smaller amount of people. Um, hard to say exact numbers on what, who are getting through because the, um, the British government are kind of are withholding a lot, a lot of that information, understandably. Um, but yeah, anyway, I'm just going off on a tangent there. It's worth ch- checking out. In fact, if you listen to this on Acast, I'm sure Wolgie will have put a tag, a link in here to um, send you to the appropriate um, article there. It was um, just, this is now f- for Wolgie to know, I can't be bothered to email him. It was called something like seven, fa- no, eight facts you need to know about the, the Calais immigration or whatever, and it's just dispelling the myths and rumours that are being quoted that are completely inaccurate. Anyway, you should check out that one with Ramel. The reason I mention that is I was in Bath recording the vocal because the point of that podcast was to meet Ramel, um, hear her story and write something inspired by it. So I, I then went to Bath and worked with this amazing um, immigrant singer himself called Didier and... Um, yeah just some an amazing band with Ethan Jones as well in in this amazing studio and in a place in a town that had the audacity to think it's acceptable to call yourself box that's the name of the town just box which made me question the name of Bath because of their proximity it suddenly made me think someone's just started naming towns just got the dictionary out and gone right Bath um beach box boat uh, it's not acceptable um Br- bristol i'm wondering what that originally meant is that a term for something else and they were just again just naming stuff beginning with b it's ridiculous but i was down there for that and i did a tweet saying i'm gonna be in the bristol bath area i didn't even mention a, a box and didn't even open that can of worms i could have said box of monkeys for example um and I did a tweet saying, who would be interesting for me to podcast? And there are a few uh, suggestions. Um, Huey Morgan was suggested, who I'm going to get on at some point. I love I love Huey. We've known each other a while, but he was out of town. And someone s- suggested Dr. Susie Gage. 
which piqued my interest. And I was like, well, who is this and what does she do? And I looked into it a bit and she's absolutely fascinating. And it was something I really wanted to have on the podcast and discuss. So she allowed me to come and sit in her living room um, as she was packing to move. Um, So I did that on that morning and I think you're going to enjoy it. She's a fascinating a, a woman her outlook is is fascinating her studies seem g- g- genuinely engaging and interesting and yeah i don't even need to tell you much more you'll you'll listen and hear what's to come from dr susie gage on episode 53 of the distraction pieces podcast Right, I'm joined today by Dr. Susie Gage. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think that's the first time I've had the opportunity to say doctor at the beginning of one of the podcasts. That's exciting. But how are you today? Yeah, I'm pretty good today. Um, You've you've let me interrupt you in the midst of moving and come and make a mess in your living room while you're you're trying to do the exact opposite and pack away everything. So yeah, I haven't got entirely very far with the packing yet, though. So it's this is a great distraction, and I'm all about that's, distractions. That's the thing with uh, with moving is that there's always something b- b- better or more important to do than pack everything into big boxes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I found when I moved um, beginning of the year, it's the big boxes are the easy bit. It's, it's it's all the tiny small bits that you're left with. And again, it's easy to pack away the big stuff. He's like, oh, there you go, that goes in there. And then you, you've just got loads of small bits that... Um, yeah, did I the big this? stuff already. Like the double base is gone and Damn the it. table's gone and they're all the big things. But now it's just like shelves of books and that kind of thing. That Man, and yeah. they're the worst for carrying as well because they're just ridiculous. Oh, and the vinyl. Vinyl's so yeah. heavy. <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of vinyl books and uh, and DVDs just made me furious at the things I'm into yeah. right when I moved. Particularly as my flat was upstairs anyway, so there oh. was no there was no escaping that these are coming down <laughs> a large flight of stairs. Um, so I've mentioned that you're a doctor. We should get into that. You did your PhD um, and, f- and focused a lot on looking at cannabis and cigarettes and their links to depression um, and psychotic experiences. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, so it sounds like I had a really interesting time talking to really interesting people and that kind of thing. Actually, what I did mainly was look at spreadsheets of ones and zeros for for four years. It's never as exciting as it looks on (laughs) on paper, is it? No, but it was was a great project and really, really interesting. So I used, in Bristol, there's a birth cohort, which is a large group of people where they've taken loads and loads of data and information from Mm -hmm. them. So it's called Children of the 90s. And it was all of the pregnant women in what used to be Avon uh, between 1990 and 19. 91 were all asked if they wanted to take part in this and right. about 14,000 of them said yes. Oh wow. And so them and their children have been followed up ever since and also the dads and siblings and uh, it's now extended because some of the children have now had their own children so it's sort of growing all the oh, time. Oh wow that's a huge s- s- study right? With yeah that many absolutely. And continuing to grow. Yeah I mean there's been some drop off obviously because some people have other like miss out on coming to do questionnaires and that kind of thing but the great thing about it is because they've asked people questions on at so many different time points if you can't come to one 
time point of questions or you you forget to send back one questionnaire, you can't make the interview on that date or whatever, mm-hmm. you can still come to the next one. And, and depending on the question that's being asked with the data, because this data is being used by hundreds of scientists across the world, actually, wow. to answer all sorts of questions about physical health, about mental health, yeah. about early life experience, about experience during pregnancy, all this kind of thing. Because these are these parents and kids have been interviewed or had questionnaires taken on the most years of their lives. So there's mm-hmm. huge, huge amounts of data. I think about 8,000 of the kids have had their genotype um, mapped out as wow. well. So there's genetic data too. They've had, they've given like saliva samples and blood samples. They've had yeah. um, So it's a really broad data set of kind of getting physical information and generally interviewing and, and discussing yeah. to see the mental state and everything else in there. Yeah, yeah. So they've been questioned about their substance use all the way through adolescence. Yeah. And then they've had interviews and done questionnaires at various points about sort of depression or anxiety and been interviewed about potentially psychotic experiences as well. So what can often be difficult in terms of trying to understand what causes what in terms of substance use and mental health Mm -hmm. is that you can't randomly assign like what you do in a normal, well, not a normal, but in an ideal world, what you do if you wanted to find out if something causes something else is you take a group of people and randomise them. So half the people get cannabis and half the people don't, but obviously you can't do that in the real world because of ethical reasons like and all sorts of other reasons as well. You're looking at something over a really long time scale. It'd be hugely expensive. Yeah, of course. So what you have to do is you just have to watch what people decide to do and the people who decide to use drugs are going to be different from the people who don't in loads of other ways as well. Yeah. So what might be happening is that something earlier in life might be causing both making you more likely to use drugs and making you more vulnerable to mental health problems. So if you see an association between cannabis use and mental health, what you might be seeing is just a common effect of something that's happened earlier in in life. Or or completely a situation that that, that it might not be that cannabis is causing the mental health, it's but the use of cannabis and the mental health issues are causes of something else, of the atmosphere, of something they've come from. Whereas it's then easy to say, well, look, look at all these people who use this and end up like this mm. it's it's ridiculous it's, it's 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 like saying that um a working in a factory causes alcoholism to mm. you know or something like that but the fact is there's there's higher levels of out of recorded alcoholism in working class exactly for families and societies and, and there's also more people that work in factories and working so it's yeah. yeah it's finding those links so it sounds fascinating that it's quite an in-depth study and must be it must have been hugely exciting to be in Bristol. I know it's it's mm. a, a, t- a small thing, but the fact that that such a study is being used all around the world because it's so in depth and so broad to kind of be on the doorsteps studying it as well must have been even more exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have uh, been wandering around the department trying to find this mythical. Uh, there's allegedly a room full of uh, all the placentas in formaldehyde. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I don't think it's actually stored in the department. I think it's in yeah. like a barn in Somerset, well, not a barn, yeah. but like a warehouse in Somerset or something. Yeah. But that's the, the sort of amazing thing about this cohort is it was really visionary. The woman who set it up, uh, Jean Golding, she just had such great foresight because back in the early 90s, Genetic studies weren't really happening. We didn't, yeah. we hadn't mapped the genome yet, all this kind of thing. And um, but she still thought that like we need to keep these samples because in the future we might have better techniques to analyse them. Amazing. So yeah. there's, it's Amazing all of this foresight. stuff is still is still kept, and that's why it's like it's such a valuable resource. And and, and, and the timing on it for um, specifically f- for looking at at at, 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 at 
recreational drugs as such in and and their influences is is perfect because it was kind of the 90s where there was a boom in in recreational drugs but also a boom in the demonization of recreational drugs and things like that so it's kind of as the children of the 90s type thing that's kind of a a a great and perfect thing to have that as your to be able to step aside from the media perception or or the stats that are thrown out as as you've said mm-hmm. there that could be skewed could be completely unrelated are related and be able to look purely at these direct case examples but over such a broad amount of 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 studies yeah absolutely um obviously when the the children were born in the early 90s so by the time they were using drugs it was like mid 2000s yeah, yeah of course yeah um but yeah, obviously, no one grows up in a bubble, so decisions about whether to use drugs are influenced by what you see in the media yeah. around you. And that's also something that I'm really interested in, is sort of trying to make sure that the information that gets to the public is not skewed, or if skewed or, like, sensationalised information does get to the public, then I'm really keen to sort of say very loudly, um, I think we need to sort of think a bit more carefully about what we're saying here, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And you address, um, you do, you, you write for The Guardian on, on, on a lot of these yeah. subjects as well. And again, I think that's such a key thing because I found it fascinating. I can't remember his name. There was a doctor in America who, uh, who was on the uh, uh, Joe Rogan podcast who wrote a book about the truth about a lot of drugs and about how... Um, a lot of our perceptions of addiction aren't what they actually are and a lot of our perceptions of the effects of heroin, of all these other things. So even choosing drugs that you can probably categorically say are are bad, Mm. but still they're not what the perception is or what is being pushed out out to the the public. So is is that something that you've ever kind of had to, to question, kind of correcting um, a bit of misinformation that in reality is probably in a way a positive or, or, I mean it, it's there to try and stop people doing a drug that's that's negative but regardless of that if it's not accurate it's not accurate mm. so the demonization of it isn't yeah well i th- i think if you present if you sort of give sensationalized information about the harms of drugs it actually is more damaging because yeah. if people are told that cannabis for example will do this certain effect yet they see their friends doing it and they and they do it themselves and have no adverse effects at all and possibly even quite a nice time then they're going to start disregarding information about more serious harms from from more more dangerous drugs and that's where sort of you might say there's some sort of gateway hypothesis it's not because that leading like using cannabis makes you more likely to use harder drugs but it might be just that your perception of the the harms becomes distorted because you've yeah. been told that this drug is so harmful yet in your personal experience it hasn't completely been. It, it it discredits everything i always i remember during the election arguing with people when i'd see posts slagging off ukip that with a quick Google search you could tell weren't true. And mm. my mind was, there's loads of really v- valid reasons to hate UKIP, but yeah, you discredit absolutely. that by saying, because there was a particular interview that was that it was claimed it happened on a, a Norwich a radio station, all this, and the quote was there. As soon as you Googled that station, the station didn't exist. So it kind of makes you go, you need to be as vigilant on 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 the tools you, you use as 
as as you expect the opposition to yeah. be. You can't get mad at the Daily Mail for writing absolute nonsense and not researching it if you're then going to spout similarly inaccurate Absolutely. nonsense. Absolutely. I think in a way you need to be even more on yeah. it in terms of evidence because if you want to claim that you have the moral high ground, you can't talk yeah. rubbish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I don't want to keep going back to it, but this data set of mm. the of the uh, children of the 90s, uh, the other thing that excites me about that is the is the range and variation of it. I often struggle when reading a lot of statistics about stuff because you kind of sit and go, but but who did they talk to? Mm. You know, I don't, you know, uh, and often when it's it's kind of random questionnaires or or done when it can be a questionnaire in in the street or anything like that, you kind of think, are the good people bothering with this are they you know I mean, but the so how was it kind of chosen how was it chosen who would be because it's that's a huge mm. a huge pool to take from how was it how were they selected well ba- basically every woman who was pregnant every in that just pregnant. in that yeah. time period was asked but obviously you do get a bit of selection bias yeah. it's called because probably the people who drop out over the years are going to be the ones who find it more difficult to yeah. come into the questionnaires right. and I don't want to say they're the interesting people, but they're probably the people who always get missed out of those kind of things and yeah. would be the, the really, really interesting population to study. Yeah, and they're course. obviously going to be the ones who drop out. So that's that's still problematic. And, and Children of the 90s is in no way perfect. It's not yeah. going to give you definitive answers, but it's going to give you a well, like, well-sized and hopefully yeah. quite good study to add to the sort of... the ocean of research obviously each individual thing is like one drop in that ocean and that's another thing that quite often gets just disregarded by the media because they have to write a story so one paper comes out and you think it might change like the whole of that field of science but no it just adds to what was already there and that can be what's sometimes quite hard to get across it's i mean that's hard for the media to to take on board i I Mm. find at times because new information to them isn't adding to the the pool of information already there yeah. it's rewriting everything mm. which it, th- that's not the case in these things and one of the beauties of, of of science where it's different from um a religion or anything else is that there's an active attempt to be proven wrong mm. to prove yourselves wrong yeah. to solve this to go all oh, right we were wrong about that here's the here's the truth here's the fact mm-hmm. you know that, r- r- rather than any shame or annoyance over it it's kind of a goal to kind of go let's 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 prove this wrong or clear this or or find the exact truth of it yeah i guess yeah i can't remember who said it it might have been richard feynman but it might have been carl sagan but yeah. i can't remember now i'm gonna look bad but someone said it's not that the light bulb moment isn't going eureka it's going oh that's weird yeah and trying to work out what that means yeah that's far more exciting i think when i get a result i don't expect and trying to work out what that might mean that's that's what i find really interesting yeah yeah definitely um just on your on your lack of, of remembering who the quote was then there's my favourite quote of all time, I, I have no ability to take in who said it. Like, and, and I've said this numerous times, that, and the irony of what the quote is is even worse. But even, but because of that, it's become a joke. So I've looked it up and really checked numerous times. It won't stay. But there was a quote that just says, um, you, you don't have a right to your own opinion. You have a right to your own informed opinion. And again, I always love that because yeah. it's always like, well... That's my opinion. It's like, well, no, that, that that's not acceptable. If, <laughs> if 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 you've not researched it and you're wrong, 
no, you're not entitled to your own opinion. <laughs> you're entitled to your own informed opinion. Yeah, I can never remember yeah. who that. And someone will tweet me now because I mentioned it a few times on the podcast. And I'm like, oh, is this? I always forget. Um, so there's a lot of, of studies going on at the moment um, in London about the the potential benefits of, or, or not actually. Before we get in onto that, during uh, your PhD, what kind of findings did you make on the on on the because the impression I got when you explained in the email was this, this a lot of it was to look at if cannabis does cause mental health or, mm. or different drugs can cause mental health issues. Now, a lot of the, the studies going on in London at, at the moment I want to go into after are looking at the positive effects they can have yep. to aid. So yep. was it, uh, uh, was that the case of your studies initially to, uh, to look at if there are potential cause and relation and then now you're kind of interested in the kind of opposite of that if there are potential solution or aid yeah sort of so the there's drug use is much higher in in populations with mental health problems sort of uh quite widely particularly cigarette smoking is just much higher particularly in uh patients with schizophrenia right but it's trying to understand whether people are trying to sort of alleviate some of the symptoms that they're suffering by taking drugs or whether the drugs are having an, uh, are a risk factor for the mental health yeah. problems, or, or both. It's quite possible that it could be working in both directions. So it, using the drugs could increase your risk, but also it could sort of alleviate some of the symptoms as all, well. It's always it's, it's such a tough area, particularly with mental health, because as you, as you said, there, the beauty of that study is that someone had the foresight to carry it through for 20, yeah. 25 years. The, the horrible thing about... Um, uh, uh, often a lack of understanding of mental health, or not even lack of understanding, but the individuality of mental health, that each case is so individual, mm-hmm. is it will generally be, right, we're going to try these drugs. And we can't just try them for a week. We need to try it for a while. Yeah. And we might find at the end of this that it's not had any effect, or it's had a negative effect. So mm-hmm. now we need to, to try something else. And it's that heartbreaking thing of, this, this, it's a catch a 22, you can't find out if it's going to work unless you Until stick you with it for a certain yeah. amount of time. And then if it th- th- doesn't effectively, you're back to square one, which is, isn't um, and, and, and mental health aside, any kind of health. Yeah. It's horrible to yeah. do something for a year or two years and then be told, right, that's not worked. What next? So the next, yeah. so the last two years have been essentially all for nothing kind of thing. So, so what next? So, yeah, I guess there's no, I'm assuming you didn't come to any, a conclusion at the end of yes here is mm. here is the effect because it as 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 you touched upon numerous times here it's a it's a case by case thing it's a cause thing, and effect yeah. it can go mm. can go both ways yeah i think what what i sort of described earlier about the problems of just observing people and that you then have to try and take into account all of the other differences between them that means that this kind of study design is never going to be yeah. definitive so I thought really hard. I read loads of literature about all the other things that might also be sort of confounding this yeah. relationship between the two. But you you can never be 100% sure that you've thought of everything. There might be just something that you either haven't measured or haven't thought about that's yeah. having an effect on both of them. And if you can't exclude that, then you can never be sure. Or, or even as, as something, some information that has been omitted from your knowledge, again, on, mm. on a lot of these, on, on a lot of studies the kind of thing 
that people may not want to mention or want yeah, to reveal absolutely. or want to give is often the crucial bit or could be the crucial bit. So again, it's, it's so tough in that respect. Yeah. And when you're, if you're doing the interview and you're interviewing like thousands of people, then you can't go really in depth yeah. the way that you perhaps would if you were interviewing 10 people for a yeah. study. So uh, things like children so of the annoying 90s that are it's always... So, so way thousands of people, it's obviously far bre- better because it's far broader, mm. but 10 people is far more in-depth, yeah. but 10 is not enough of a pool to get an accurate... But that's why you do both. And right. if both agree, then you've got yeah. stronger evidence. If you can do of a course, massive yeah, study with little sense. detail and a really in-depth study with different people, and it yeah. says the same thing, that gives you much stronger evidence than either one alone. Yeah, sure. But what you really want is a completely different study design. So you can also try and look at these things in animal models as well, yeah. or um, you can try and find populations where the confounding factors, so early life experience or like the social makeup of people who smoke versus people who don't is different in two different populations. And if right. you see then the same effect in smoking you can be a bit more confident that the confounder that you're interested in isn't causing the effect because if it doesn't exist in one population but you still see the same yeah. association that gives you much stronger arguments again yeah so it isn't you know that you can almost eliminate that that isn't mm. the thing that's causing yeah so this it's, it's slow progress because you need to do this kind of triangulation of coming mm. at the same question from lo- as many different angles as you can to try and fight, to try and sort of get more s- strength of evidence. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, uh, let's uh, I talk about the st- studies in London at the moment that are looking at the use of what are traditionally recreational drugs as treatments for depression, for PTSD, mm. for all sorts of other things like that. I'd imagine for schizophrenia as well, because again, there's there's been a lot of things in the past I've heard where people will say that certain drugs help these things. And so, what kind of yeah, what's been where is where is all that at, and what, and what have they come to so far? Yeah, I don't know anything about uh, using them for schizophrenia. Actually, that's really interesting. Just, um, I mean, that only only came to mind because um, years ago, a young lady I was dating, her dad was schizophrenic, and he started to again. He had read, or she may have read somewhere that that weed or that you know, or, or whatever else would aid this, and he. He apparently tended to find that to be a genuinely... But again, you wonder if that's an escapism or a solution. Yeah, know? yeah. But yeah, uh, l- let's fo- I focus on the actual yeah, study yeah. and stats <laughs> rather than the loose half-memory I have from 10 years ago. So. Um, so obviously, yeah, this isn't research that I'm involved with, yeah. but I've been... Um, I was at a, a psychopharmatherapy psychopharmacology conference um standard you know uh, earlier in the week um which happened in bristol actually it was really interesting stuff but um uh, it's some work being done in imperial and uh dr robin carhart harris was presenting his work and it's very much a pilot study at the moment but they're using psilocybin the active ingredient in magic mushrooms right um to uh try and help people with treatment resistant depression so these are people like you were describing who've who've tried many different yeah. treat different kinds of drugs or different non-drug therapies for their depression and nothing has worked and so they're trying to use psilocybin in quite high doses um just once or twice i think um to see if that can almost like kind of a reset i suppose yeah because uh, a lot of people when they take psilocybin sort of report these kind of gnostic or spiritual experiences yeah. and describe it as like the disillusion of the ego yeah to kind of uh take away the self 
Yeah. And um, but as well as that, they've also been doing so as well as sort of anecdotal reports about the effects they've also looked at brain scans so um, neural networks within the brain what tends to happen when you're on psychedelics that they've found from these studies is uh, the individual little brain networks fire less and there's much more global connections that are are firing in the brain Um, which is it's really interesting to sort of observe and you do see kind of the opposite patterns in patients with depression. Right. So that's kind of another reason why you might think that psychedelics might be a Could good benefit avenue to go. I mean, it's, 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 it's a fascinating one at the, at the moment because there's huge... I mean, as you were saying about the, 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 the treatment, doing it as a, often a one-off kind mm. of thing as, as a reset, there's... I mean, I hear a, a, a lot about ayahuasca at the moment, which... A lot of people go out for these ayahuasca um, experiences, and again, it's said to be a very sp- spiritual mm-hmm. thing. And you take incredibly strong hallucinogens, and you're generally in the in the desert or in the jungle somewhere. It's these it's these amazing things, but yeah. it's seen as really as as life changing. And I mean, my experience, I don't do anything at the, at the moment, but in the past, I've 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 used um, hallucinogens, and again, I need to. I preface this with the um, statement that I think all drug... I don't think anyone can say, I've done this, therefore it's safe, or this yeah. is good. I think it's so... As we've said on all of these things, it's such a personal mm-hmm. thing. It's, for some people, it's incredibly dangerous. For some people, it's not at all. Uh, 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 we had Howard Marks on, on the podcast a while ago, and he was saying how his chemotherapy... He's got four different kinds of cancer at the moment. His chemotherapy is fine. His body handles it fine and, and reacts really mm. well. Now, I've known people who have chosen to stop chemotherapy because it's so unbearable that they'd rather, you know, just battle the cancer. So, again, that's just an, uh, just to describe how different people's minds and bodies are different. But m- my experience of hallucinogens changed me permanently. Um, mm. And, again, it's that thing of when I was taking them at the time, it was that thought of, oh, cool, I'll have these weird experiences for a, f- a few hours and it'll be that. But... The fact is it made me think things that when I was then off them, I was kind of like, damn, yeah, that's 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 true. That's kind of... So, you know, it opened up certain parts of my mind and, and philosophies and outlooks to me that have stuck with me since. So I can completely understand how that could be a similar thing in depression or in, in mental health issues where it can have that thing that will have that moment, um, but, but, but they're not like cannabis or anything else where it'd have to be a repeated thing as your escape mm. it could potentially be a one-off or a few times treatment to go right here's as you said to, to click the reset button essentially yeah i think what i should also say very quickly is that um <laughs> when they do these studies in imperial it's always sort of in a therapeutic environment Completely. so it's very very different from like going to some person on a street corner and and getting yeah. what something you have no idea what it is 110 um, percent. i mean yeah. there's safety of it of knowing uh, what you've got and the controlled environment exactly, make all exactly. the difference again i've despite having tried things in the past my thing with drugs i don't really do any now i don't even drink much anymore but my thing was always i'm open to this and i'll try it out and it, and, mm. and look which again i wouldn't particularly recommend because yeah. you don't know what you're getting there's an ignorance there of i'm i'm feeling safe because i'm buying something off someone i know but where my did they get it yeah. doctors you know <laughs> yeah. they're, they're kind of uh, where did they get it? so mm. equally my theory was I'd, I'd never buy from 
as someone in a club. I'd never do hallucinogenics anywhere other than in a controlled Mm -hmm. environment was my personal way. Um, And equally, each drug I tried, I I researched a bit. First, Mm. I tried to read up on, tried to get an understanding of it. So this isn't a let's all go out and do drugs (laughs) podcast. Again, if that's what you want to do, I'm not going to judge you either, but that's that's not what we're saying here. But yeah, the beauty of studies like this is... And again, the beauty of it's one of the main arguments for the decriminalisation of a lot of these drugs or the legalisation of a lot of these drugs is the control then over the quality and the situations and who's taking them. So, yeah, just that's clear that the the studies aren't (coughs) buying off off weird Bobby up the street and then doing them in someone's back garden. It's, It's... the purity taking mm. the specific parts of these hallucinogens and and testing that in a con- controlled environment yeah absolutely and similarly with uh, the ptsd trials i'm not sure if they're being done in london i know there's definitely been some in the states yeah but um mdma was originally well not it was originally made as a sort of byproduct for trying to um trying to uh make a a blood thinning drug so right. it was that was way back in the early um, 1900s, I think, or maybe oh, 1920s. Wow. But it was then. In I, was, the... I was ready for you to say 60s or 70s, <laughs> and then wow. Well, it yeah. became in the in the 70s. It became uh, Alexander Shulgin um, sort of heard about it, and him and his friends, uh, who quite a lot of them were psychotherapists, they used to use it in their counselling. Um, but they also used to take it re- recreationally. I think he used to refer to it as his low calorie martini. Wow! <laughs> wow! Um, so. It, before it oh, sort of became oh, the ignorance a, of history, I before, love it. <laughs> well, Queen Victoria was given a tincture of cannabis for her um, for childbirth pains by, her, by the royal physician. Amazing. So history is a uh, yeah. It's very interesting. The drugs that have become the sort of recreational drugs of choice, the legal drugs, compared to the ones that are now illegal. Yeah, um, I think that's a whole different story. Perhaps I, I mean, think we can get onto that as 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 well that's <laughs> yeah. again it's it, 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 it very much is fascinating and again in my previous days as a stoner the easy argument was always how is alcohol mm-hmm. the one that's legal when it's one of the most damaging psychologically and physically um yet cannabis or any of these other drugs aren't now that that i mean it's similar in that way to to what i was saying about the the hallucinogen experiences in that that's the one bit left over from my my stoner thoughts that I still feel is valid and I still believe today it's like there's a lot of stuff I thought then it was ridiculous I thought Cheech and Chong movies were a work of art which <laughs> I've now realized is very inaccurate um but the one that has still resonated through is the irony of, or the the hypocrisy of 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 alcohol being mm. legal again in a way it'd be be better if alcohol I was illegal with the rest of them. If we're going to make it, if it's going to be, if we're going to go along the illegal route, then all or nothing. Well, then cig- cigarettes are. Uh, yeah, the cigarettes too, killer, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't think of <laughs> uh, where we were then because I want to get onto <laughs> cigarettes as well. But yeah, the mm. the, the the studies for PTSD mm. and MDMA being potentially used in that. What was the? Again, you were saying it's possibly in America more they've looked yeah, into that. Yeah. So but. the theory behind that is that. The type of uh, feelings that you have on MDMA is that you are able to sort of confront unpleasant memories without the fear responses that you associate with them. Yeah. So it's sort of putting yourself in a safe place. So you can see how in a in a 
talking therapy session to to be in a place where you feel able to talk about these memories that at the that at the moment you can't talk about without yeah, triggering course. these horrible stress responses that that could be a really useful sort of uh, way of progressing the therapy session and getting you actually able to confront these in a, in an environment where you feel safe yeah that's, that's sort that's of the fascinating. theory behind it and again because uh, again with the controlled a situation like that and the mm. purity again mm. the biggest risk i think of things like just mdma and pills and everything in that kind of area is what they're all c- 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 cut with and mixed mm. with and all the other horrible things that are in there but the kind of i've very nearly said the beauty of that drug and but again i don't want this to turn <laughs> into a, a hive of drugs but the i guess the, the the beautiful side of that drug and again there's ugly sides and and presumably nice side to all drugs otherwise people wouldn't do them but my experiences of of pills and that kind of thing is exactly that that euphoria and happiness and just the wanting to chat the openness to talk about anything and everything Mm. to pour your deepest darkest secrets out to someone you've just met in a sweaty club which is (laughs) again a bad choice Mm. a bad choice (laughs) in life that's not a good thing to do but i can completely see how going right let's isolate that part of the experience and look at it here Mm. um and use it on things where people feel ashamed to talk about this or uncomfortable talking about it so to get that moment of openness um to hopefully try and make a breakthrough breakthrough. yeah Yeah. exactly that's fascinating that's fascinating um uh, so let's talk about cigarettes and and e-cigarettes um you mentioned uh, we emailed back and forth Mm. about a few subjects and it instantly uh, uh, I brought to mind that um, I think in 2013 or 14, I did um, a, a climb Snowden with some friends and we went up there in a van and my mate, Stu, who listens to the podcast, I normally end up slagging off on the podcast, but this isn't <laughs> actually a negative thing. It's all lovely. It just, it struck me at that point because from touring a lot for years, there was always the experience of, oh, we need a services break for a cigarette. Yeah. Um, but he'd just got an e-cigarette and was smoking it all the way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and at times, still having a cigarette at the services on the stop. Yeah. So the beautiful theory of e-cigarettes is the safeness of them, the 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 r- removing a lot of the, or all of the, the toxic and damaging parts of it. But the risk, which I think we're seeing and wasn't accounted for, is... The kind of normalisation of it, the we'd got to a point with the smoking ban where where smoking was generally starting to be a a disgusting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, a lot of people had cut down on smoking. The smoking ban had a huge it effect, really did, yeah. so it became a, a, a not as acceptable choice. Whereas e-cigarettes, whether it's smoking them or otherwise, and whether it would have a knock-on effect, kind of normalises the idea of smoking again, which. We've just done loads to denormalise because, again, it's very, very bad for you. Yeah. It's, it's not good in any way. <laughs> no, absolutely. Although there is, well, no, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, go, go. About, is some uh, well, studies nicotine of- as a as a sort of cognitive enhancer. That's why, um, yeah, initially, sort of. Well, actually, no. Tobacco was initially used in sort of ritualistic settings. Yeah, but it was only in um, when sort of machines were able to roll cigarettes in a large scale that uh that cigarette smoking became became more prevalent and 
The problem with cigarettes in comparison to other forms of tobacco is that the the pH of the tobacco in cigarettes has changed slightly. So in all other forms of tobacco, like in cigars or in chewing tobacco, mm -hmm. you can absorb the nicotine through your mouth. Right. But when you smoke cigarettes, it doesn't absorb through the mouth. You have to inhale it into the lungs, which means the nicotine gets into your bloodstream really, really quickly, gets yeah. to your brain really, really quickly. Yeah. And that's why cigarettes are so much more addictive right. than than other forms of tobacco. And again, it's the it's it's crazy that it's people don't realise that there are it, the the way in which a, a, you consume things has a huge mm. effect on the effects that it, it has yeah, on absolutely. you in America. I think with, it's just the same chemical, surely. Again, yeah, I mean, it's, you're seeing it more in America with the um, decriminalisation of, of cannabis and where people are smoking and having edibles and it's two completely different experiences yeah. or very different experiences mm -hmm. at least because of the way you, you're ingesting it. It's not a case of as soon as it goes past your lips it does yeah. what it does it's like no how's it getting in how's it yeah, how, how are you, you taking it in it? and absorbing yeah. it absolutely so, yes so, so what's your your feeling on e-cigarettes and yeah the positives and the negatives mm. the benefits because surely there are benefits as well if it is as, as a substitute for yeah. smoking there's benefits but is that outweighed by the potential readdressing of mm. the general perception of smoking again so it's a difficult question that actually because there are a lot of factors at play here Firstly, I think there are still a lot of people who smoke and a lot of people who are yeah. trying to give up. And although we don't know all of the effects, the long-term effects of e-cigarettes, the, the chances of them being as harmful as cigarettes are, is vanishingly small. Yeah, and what yeah. research has been done to date shows that if you use them in the way they're sort of intended to be used, like you don't get into this... Uh, vapors call it a dry puff situation, right. which is where it's really, really overheated. And when you really, really overheat... It, then you do get quite a lot of toxins and it's right. pretty bad. But a, according to users, it's really, really unpleasant. And so yeah, you just you you learn not do to do that. that. You learn, like smokers learn how to get the amount of nicotine that they want from the cigarettes that they use. Yeah. That's why low tar cigarettes didn't work because right. they didn't actually change the content of the tobacco. They just put more filters in the, in the tip. Right. So it, when machines smoked them, yeah, the machines got much less tar, but humans are a bit cleverer than machines and they would like wouldn't even necessarily realise that's what they were doing, but they'd cover up the little extra holes, right. take more breaths, and they'd get exactly the same yeah. levels from the cigarettes. They, they, their bodies were really good at knowing how much nicotine they wanted yeah, and yeah. getting it. So I think I think e-cigarettes have the potential to be incredibly valuable mm. for for public health. For, it's in, uh, it, I mean, it's interesting as, as well to, to play devil's advocate here, is you saying how, and again, I think you're completely right, I think there's they're far... Um, or everything currently suggests that they are far safer and far healthier. But equally, there was a point where cigarettes were advertised by doctors yep, and yep, advertised and pushed as, mm. as this safe and positive thing. Mm. So it's still amazing that we still jump into things that we don't really know the long-term effects mm. of or anything like that. But yeah, but, but still, as I said, everything that we can see at yeah. the moment suggests that, and we're far more able to see these things than at that point when cigarettes first came out. Well, we, and it know was... a, we know a lot about what in cigarettes is harmful and yeah. those things aren't in e-cigarettes. Yeah, of course. So that's kind of a positive. I do worry about the renormalisation a little bit. Um, it is weird seeing adverts of things that look like cigarettes. Yeah. But it's also strange that it's the first generation e-cigarettes that are the ones being advertised and they're the ones that look like cigarettes but actually although people might start with one of those because that's what they see people who become sort of 
long-term vapors tend to use these second generation ones which don't they look like weird look like pens. a pen yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They, but they don't really look like cigarettes and although they you and the vapor there isn't smoke at all it, it's yeah. like water vapor it doesn't look like cigarette smoke either yeah, yeah and it is weird to go to a gig and see like a big puff of vapor yeah. but it does it, i mean it is it is different and i think it's important to to not get sort of carried away with 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 sort of fear when yeah. actually this thing could be incredibly useful at saving people's lives again i think one of the things that is where because again it, it, it's something that came out of nowhere it seemed it kind of yeah. came really quickly yeah, and yeah. it was like, all right I, I, I don't know what to do and one of the interesting things was seeing how um how organizations dealt yeah. with that were like oh are, you, are they allowed to smoke indoors mm-hmm. now you're allowed to smoke and more and more places now are saying no cigarettes electronic or yeah. or normal mm-hmm. and so again i think that does something at least to pushing it in the right direction of to to stop the the normalization of it and for sort of although i kind of disagree right? because i think um it's 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 maybe easier to do that but actually that gives a message that these things are more harmful than than they probably are. Right. If we say that they're the same as cigarettes, then it might. If someone's thinking about giving up, and they, they go, go oh, "Why bother?" Yeah, yeah. they go, "Well, if an e-cigarette's just as yeah. harmful as a cigarette, so yeah. so so because I'm not allowed to smoke it here, or even as lazy and greedy as is, if I need to go outside to smoke it anyway, I, I might as well, well get the a, full like exactly it, a similar to if I'm having um, a tub of ice cream. I don't want the half fat ice cream. Yeah. I don't, you know, if, if I'm having <laughs> yeah. a treat, I'll have a fucking treat. Yeah, you know, yeah. otherwise I won't have a treat. You know, it's as simple as that. So again, a similar, a similar outlook mm. to that, I guess, that could push people to not giving up and to. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that would be my worry with just treating them exactly the same as cigarettes. Is like they do, they could so hold this really really useful purpose that we would then be sort of getting rid of. Yeah. Um, in fact, we've. Uh, been talking to Bristol University about their cigarette and e-cigarette policy because I work in a tobacco and alcohol research group yeah. at Bristol University. And um, is yeah. that just a lot of drinking and smoking? <laughs> Does that take place in the in the student union? Just study in the student <laughs> union? We do have a, a smoking lab which has been designated as a place you're allowed to smoke indoors. Oh wow! So that we can conduct experiments where we sort of monitor people just to yeah. see how people behave while yeah. they're smoking. And we do, uh, yeah, do studies where we give people alcohol um, that's fascinating and i bet this again students must swarm upon that as we, an yeah extra... we do get quite a lot because also yeah people get uh reimbursed for their time as well so it's, it's a pretty much get quite a lot of people wanting to sign up on a friday late afternoon yeah. funnily enough yeah i'd imagine <laughs> let's all go and get studies though <laughs> <laughs> so if you end up in the because obviously you don't know whether you're going to be in the control condition or not so you might just get orange juice right yeah yeah i mean orange juice is nice in itself you it get paid for lovely, it you know yes. it's a good night um <laughs> as as i see yeah you've 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 started or you're talking t- to the university about their their policies there so again is that to 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 i don't know i guess the conclusion I come to here is that at the point that we go over to not the e-cigarettes that look like cigarettes, mm. then we're at a point where it'd be better if, as you said, there's almost a reward basis on them in that you can smoke them inside. You can do this or do that so that cigarettes are, again, there's a reason to get off them and go over to something mm-hmm. else. But, yeah, it's a tough area, isn't it? It is. It's, But that's what makes it really exciting as yeah. well. And, um... and, again, to be... Studying something that's 
happening now yeah. on the cusp of this of this have you're at the start rather than 10 years into it mm-hmm. 20 years into it you're at the start of e-cigarettes so yeah it's like so colleagues of mine have just uh, got funding to add some questions about e-cigarettes into children of the 90s oh wow so uh, that's going to be nice a nice sort of tying yeah. together that, of, of that all in beautifully so um uh, uh, let's talk about the media uh, misrepresentation of science um in particular with relation to drugs mm. and we've obviously had the the case uh, uh, recently of that poor kid that uh, uh, that died and the first media reports were that he'd been using um a laughing gas i guess mm-hmm. is it nitrous oxide a, a nitrous yeah. oxide um and obviously a while back there was the causeway cannibal that they claimed was on bath salts yeah. and I, again i remember even now i will hear people talk about that as a well there was this guy who was on legal highs mm. and did this and went off and did all that and it's like well, no, technically that's... he was because he he had alcohol in his system. Right. I think he had alcohol and cannabis in his system, but right. I think he was quite clearly having a psychotic episode. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so if, like, that case was a man that was... It was in Florida, I think. Yeah. And uh, he was filmed sort of... It was really quite horrific, like, basically biting someone's face. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, really, really horrible stuff. But it went all over the media that the bath salts, which was... A methadrone or a similar, it's like yeah. a cathinone, a legal high that's trying to imitate MDMA. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was actually methadrone that was the one that went big in the States. I think it was MVDP. Oh, I can't even right. remember now. But um, one of the slightly more sort of extreme ones. But it's just the media sensationalised. There was also a story here in in, in Scunthorpe, I think it was, um, where uh, some boys died and... It was all over the papers that they'd taken methadrone. It turns out they'd actually thought they were taking methadrone, but they'd actually bought methadone. Um, So all of these reports happen in the media well before the toxicology reports come back. Yeah, is that... And when the toxicology reports come back, you don't very often see, oh, look, actually, it was this. And even if you do, it's it's not remembered. It's that horrific thing in our modern media that it's more important to be first than to be right. And it's that... Again, the the Causeway Cannibal one is a prime example of that's all anyone's going to remember because mm. with a thing like that, as soon as you hear about it, you kind of it turns into just talking amongst your friends about it rather yep. than continuing to keep an eye on to this because it's something yeah. that's happened and mm. been resolved. It's something that's happened. He's been caught. You've got that tiny nugget of information you need to have a huge conversation at the at the pub about yeah. it or whatever and. That's the scary and dangerous part of it, mm-hmm. the the fact that there's no... And again, like when these things are readdressed, it's the typical thing in the press of a small yeah. c- a correction. If even that, though. But, that, I mean, that rarely happens, to be honest, as well. Yeah, it's bizarre. On cases uh, like this, it rarely happens because, um, I guess, the person who you've um, uh, misrepresented isn't going to be chasing the paper about it, isn't there to defend themselves, either isn't there to defend themselves because they've died or Mm. isn't there to defend themselves because they've got bigger things to worry about than than what a paper has said, you know, they're going to prison or whatever else. So, Mm. yeah, it's horrible. So what what kind of, what do you see as ways to readdress this or, or? It would be great to have some sort of agreement. Like there's really, really amazing, um, guidelines for reporting about suicide that yeah. is beginning to be noticed in the in the media of the way that 
articles are written about mm-hmm. about suicide now are so much better than they were a few years ago. Yeah. And I think it's because of these guidelines. So perhaps um, maybe um, sort of drug charities or that kind of thing need to come up with these kind of guidelines too yeah. to, to sort of help <laughs> the press to... Uh, be a little bit more cautious before they draw kind yeah. of conclusions on very little data. And perhaps the police as well, in terms of the sort of press releases that they give as well, being really yeah. careful not to add to this kind of hysteria about a substance. Yeah, completely. It's crazy that the people who should be the most controlled and calm should be the media. But it does seem to be there's this panic of, quick, we need to discuss this great... They've done this drug we've not heard of and it's caused this it's mm. like they should be the ones going right let's let's research this uh, uh let's look into it all oh, right it's not a, it's not a problem it's not a worry uh, we can calm down and relax i guess i mean i'd say it happened it's increased in recent years i would guess that's in 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 reaction to the internet the fact mm. is that news the media has to try and beat Twitter or whoever else is going to be just talking about it. So there's that urgency to go, right, we just need our headliner. We need to go now rather than is this a fact, which is, it's tragic really. Yeah. Um, I don't, I wonder if it has increased recently. It probably has. Um, I think that's definitely a problem. And also they have to say something. You can't be the one news organisation that doesn't report on it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say something now. I can't remember what it was. Imagine uh, a news a news station or outlet that only released completely researched information. I mean, that sounds mm. that shouldn't be a weird thing, <laughs> but if if there was one that was mm. like always come to us, we'll have all your news f- four days later, and they made a point of it's four days later because we need four days yeah. to check and make sure everything's in and the stats are right, rather than you know making a point of being we're not going to be the first. <laughs> but we're yeah. going to be the, the most accurate and the most considered. It'd be a wonderful thing. Well, quite often, though, the problem isn't necessarily the actual article. Sometimes mm. the article is written really well, but it, the, headline the headline that's put on it. And yeah. when I, because I, yeah, I write online for The Guardian, yeah. I get all of the fun stats and I can yeah. see how many people have read my article. I can see the average time spent on the page and they give me an estimation right. of the average time it would read. take yeah. to read the whole article. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's quite depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've learned to put everything in the first paragraph now because yeah. I'm guessing that that's probably all most people read. I mean, and again, that's only increasing b- because of the, the preview functions and whatnot of posting yeah. things on Facebook because you'll get a headline, you'll get a bit of a paragraph yeah. And a lot of people won't read a lot past that. They'll mm-hmm. repost it or they'll go off into a, a rant and a rave. <laughs> Again, it's why uh, we did a podcast. If you if you listen to this and, and you're new to it, we did a podcast a while back with a group called F- FullFact.org and their job as a website is to fact check and to mm-hmm. go through. And I became aware of them because of Facebook because someone was making some ridiculous claim because of an article and someone posted a link to a full fact, a breakdown that said, right, We've looked at this article. Here's where they've got it wrong. Yeah. Here's the studies. Here's the breakdown. Here's the actual, the facts behind it. But it's so easy now to just get in that uproar and and repost or, or share something purely on a headline, mm-hmm. purely on a headline yeah. rather. And the example I gave on that one, and not to, uh, in fact in this in this point I won't name my mate, but the headline on that one was a Britain first thing, and it said illegal immigrants getting more benefits than pensioners. Um, 
and my argument was quite cold. It was a friend of mine who then posted a full fact thing, but my argument was like, even if you're only reading the headline, you're a fucking idiot for reposting this because the fact that it says illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants can't claim yes. benefits because they're illegal. <laughs> that's that's you know just yeah, yeah. just purely on that. Even if you can't be bothered to read the article and see how ludicrous it is, the fact that the title itself yeah. doesn't even make sense is is mind blowing. But um. Yeah, I guess, again, it's just a constant urging for people because because we can't rely on our, our journalists, sadly, to fact-check and, you know, maintain the standard that was previously a journalistic rule, or, or maybe not even our journalists, bloggers online, you know, there's 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 a difference. It's trying to push the general public to kind of, to, to question things mm. once, I guess. Just question it once yeah. and try and look into it. And then if it's if that's that, then, you know, we can't expect to do the kind of the five point checks and things like that, that uh, uh, should be rooted in journalism. Mm. But there are are some brilliant science journalists. I should say this as well. And I I worked, um, I got a British science association media fellowship a couple of years ago. And I spent six weeks uh, over the summer during my PhD working for the BBC. And I did three weeks working for BBC radio science unit and then three weeks writing articles for BBC website, writing news articles about science for the BBC website. And blogging is easy in comparison. Like I've got time. I don't have any, like you, when I blog, I want to be sort of topical and like quite often I'm responding to an article. So I need to do that fairly quickly. But the, the, the science journalists at the BBC were writing more than like a couple of articles a day and I just could not keep up to begin with at all because I'm used to going really in depth into a subject and like taking a really long time to sort of think about what I want to say and how I want to say it. And then They have to write. They really, really... And then click and upload and get into have a nice cup of tea and a sit down exactly, and I go yes yeah, go, all right, I've another done one well next there week. can't yeah. wait for the comments I'm gonna you know, oh god yeah. <laughs> I can wait for the yeah, comments yeah, <laughs> well I mean also you um just on the questioning of drugs and and the questioning of of, of all these facts um you are you are you are you're looking at potentially starting a podcast mm. as well of kind of of looking at illegal and illegal drugs and kind of just trying to break down a given the key part an unbiased f- facts and stats on that yeah I, absolutely I, I, what's kind of the plan there because i think that's fascinating and and have you you come up with a name for it yet no i haven't because I've, I've come up with a brilliant <gasps> one this morning just either say why to drugs or just say why so, so again just breaking the just say no just Do you know saying how again, long it's, it's taken me to try and think of a name i came up with it this morning <laughs> i just I, I saw something somewhere just saying say no to drugs or oh, i think yeah. someone had written say yes to drugs something like that yeah. i was like no say why to drugs because that's a far better thing of saying right why do i want to do this and what's if you're questioning it mm. i can't get mad at anyone who chooses to go along that route as long as you've thought about it in advance so yeah that's there's kind, a few that's options kind of there. my opinion as well it's that's why i think yeah the problem is is how can you be well informed when there's loads of of misinformation all yeah, over the place exactly so that's sort of why i think this and in fact i um took part in a science outreach thing in schools called i'm a scientist get me out of here brilliant and, and it sort of pitted five scientists against each other and they were paired with eight schools and it was all done online so the kids emailed questions over but also you did live chats where they were all in their classroom and you were at work going oh my god, oh my god quick, i can't keep up to, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. for about an hour it was the most exhausting two weeks of my life oh, they're intense hours then ones yeah. aren't they for the whole class of yeah of sort of 
well, they, they, they were secondary school kids. Yeah. So the questions they asked were incredible as well about everything and anything. And part of the reason for doing it is so that you can say, well, I, like, I'm a psychologist. I don't know how much the moon weighs. Scientists don't know everything about everything. Yeah, yeah. Like, we have specialist fields. But um, the that's what I said I'd do with my winnings was make these podcasts. Yeah. And it was it was a few years ago now that I won this and I really need to actually do them. I've done some of the interviews with um, scientists around the country. Yeah. But now I'm going to, like, just make... Probably not very long yeah. podcast. One about each drug. Well, that's what I was going to say. If you do t- twenty minutes, yeah. fifteen, t- a twenty minutes breaking these down, and after we've done this, I'll I'll chat to you about this. But the, awesome. I I put full fact in touch with Acast, mm. who, who I do my podcast with, and again, I'm not telling everyone where to go. But the thing the thing I loved with Acast and why it worked for full fact and why I think it worked with you is when you upload it. You can put links into the upload. So when oh, you're talking amazing. about a particular yeah. study, if they want to, they can click the link that takes them to that yeah. study. Or when you're talking about a particular article by someone else, it kind of it gives the option to just listen to what you're saying. But if 10, 15 minutes isn't enough for them, then they can click and go and read further and look into it more. Which, again, for all things like this, I think is such an amazing That's use great. of like technology. Audio blogging. Yeah, yeah love exactly. It. I, I, it, I, 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 when Acast told me about it, I was excited because I was saying, I've always dreamt of the day when... And it's kind of here now, I guess, and it's weird that I haven't embraced it, but when I'd be reading a book and if it's talking about something, I'd be able to go and mm-hmm. look at that. It, yeah. was, it, it came from a guy called Musa Wonga, who's a poet who, ho- who happens to have written two amazing books about football, which is a bizarre combination, <laughs> but it makes it amazing because yeah. a poet writing about football is a beautiful thing. So, But on that, every time I'd read, he'd write a beautiful a passage a, d- describing the magic of a certain run by Messi or something else. It'd be so beautiful, and I'd be like... I now want to just click here and press play and watch, and watch that it, yeah. after reading it. So essentially, that's what Acast is. It's it's giving mm. you that option. You can link videos, pictures, all sorts in there. So yeah, that's worth a look. Um, we're just at the hour mark, um, so we'll start to wrap things up. But I'm excited that it's taken us this long to even particularly address the fact that you're female. Because <laughs> um, again, I really struggle with this. I have a lot of male and female. Uh, a lot. I, I argue with people online when they ask for more female guests because it annoys me because I want them to ask for specific female mm-hmm. guests. I find it odd to say, I'd just like to hear more women yeah. rather than, here's a specific woman that's inspiring and, and, and yeah. brilliant. Um, and again, it's always been a thing that's annoyed me with f- female rappers, and I'm saying that, in, is, is that you, we can't just refer to them as, as rappers. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're my favourite female rapper. It's like... Where does yeah, female musician in? isn't a genre. Yeah, yeah, it's its own thing. But the reason it has to be brought up is obviously there's been a lot of press recently when um, the Dr. T- Tim Hunt uh, made his comments about female scientists um, basically saying they're no good because you either fall in love with them or they fall in love with you or there was three reasons yeah. I think he gave. When and it you was, criticise them, they cry. When you criticise the them, thing. they cry yeah. was the, the third, which again, I had John Ronson on recently and he was talking about the, his new book mm. is about the, the, the rush of public um, judge, jury and execution essentially um, in the world these days. And whilst I think a lot of, or I think everything that Tim Hunt said was, was ludicrous. I also think there's a certain point of, 
we're not really knowing the context of yeah. it. We're not really knowing if it was a tongue-in-cheek f- f- flip, or it's not being reported as much if it's a tongue-in-cheek flipping thing, which still isn't acceptable, but it's a different level of unacceptable. Is mm. he really a silly, sexist old dinosaur, or was he someone who just said something stupid? And But again, let's mm. discuss a, a women in science and, and, and being a female scientist. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely don't want to talk about Tim Hunt because my opinion about him is really doesn't matter. Um, right. However, I was on uh, Radio 4. They did a, they've got a, a weekly science show called Inside Science. Yes. And they did a whole episode about sexism in science, not talking about Tim Hunt, but taking that as a starting point. And I was one yeah. of the guests talking Again, about... Again, that's key. I mean, just to just, say that, that's where it should go. Exactly. Rather than yeah. these these public executions of jumping. It's like, right, no, l- let's now use this as a catalyst to talk about this yeah. subject and what the issue is, rather than the the question is this, is this guy an idiot? Our answer mm. is yes. Yeah. Debate over. It's instead going, the question is, what is the issue with, yeah. with women in science, in science and what are the restrictions? And mm-hmm. that, now let's discuss that more broadly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was talking about the sort of the, the raw stats about... Yeah. Um, sort of these uh, kind of biases, unconscious biases that seem to happen all the way through careers, which is why even in like a field like psychology that I'm in, when I was an undergrad, there was, it was 90% women on my course. And in my department now, the, at the other end, like professors are almost all male. So something's yeah. happening along that route. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I mean, psychology is obviously like quite female heavy, whereas in something like physics, it's even at A-level there's a high, far higher proportion of boys that take A-level physics than girls. Right. And it drops, it still drops, even from a really low starting yeah, point, yeah, it yeah. still drops. So sort of what's going on? And there have been a few experiments that have tried to look at this. So taken CVs that um, are identical CVs, but they either put a woman's name or a man's name at the top of it. Mm-hmm. And both women and men rate the CV as being better and the person more employable with if it's got a man's name at the top. It's crazy, so isn't it? It's these biases, like it's not just sort of men holding women back it's it's a whole cultural thing and it seems to be particularly yeah, prevalent in science there, as, as well as, as well and mm. un, 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 unintentional and I always loved um a, a one of, of of Milgram's experiments obviously he's he's most known for the 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 shock yeah. testing of the blind shock and how far you go but a one of ones I loved reading up on was his his lost letter um test where he'd have he I believe he did it in an office. You'd leave a, a letter on the floor um, and see how many people would pick it up and post it or how many would, would pick it up and put it in the bin. Um, and then he'd change that to the letter on the floor is addressed to um, the the childcare unit or something like mm. that, the British mm. Heart Foundation, and see if that influenced it. And then one that's addressed to the Na- uh, the Nazi League yeah. or, you know, or something like that yeah. and see how that affects and... and, and, and and, and and whether that's right, because more people w- would th- make a judgment, which isn't our right to throw it mm. away or to to be involved if not. But I don't know why I started going on about that. <laughs> but but yeah, it's just interesting that there is that, even if it's a subconscious bias, yeah. it's something that we need to work hard to ad- address. And when I had Josie Long on, as she was kind of saying, and it echoed the thoughts I've seen a lot in America at the moment is as a white male in America or as a white person in America, it's not enough to not be racist at this stage. Yeah. You have to be actively supportive because it, it's easy. Oh, I'm, I'm not racist or I'm not sexist. Like you need mm. to be active because you, you won't be seen 
a lot of the areas where this is slipping in and going unnoticed and similar there you if you're not actively trying to look for the balance and equality in these things you, you may be subconsciously going that's better than that one because of the sex of yeah, the name yeah, absolutely or the gender it's of the something name you it. really need to be aware that it is a problem so then you can do something about it consciously because you yeah you're battling something that you don't even know that you're doing yeah. or like people have asked me uh well have you ever experienced sexism and it's like well that's the point is you don't necessarily know but yeah. maybe just the whole atmosphere is making women selectively feel just that little bit more unwelcome yeah. in a scientific yeah. environment but it's and, interesting and also that- i think that when it's so prevalent and regular is you n- not even necessarily that you won't even know but that you it you won't notice as yeah. much because it's something you're so used to. You're used to th- that's how people react in this situation rather than that's how they react to a woman in mm-hmm. this situation and they would act differently to a man that you're just used to. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's just, that's how things go. The way it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it seems like it is quite specific to science as well. Like if you ask really quite small kids what a scientist looks like, or to get them to draw a scientist, they'll yeah. draw a white middle-aged man in a lab coat. Yeah. Um, and that's Often bald, <laughs> quite, I'd imagine. Or crazy hair. Yeah, yeah, or crazy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Extremes, <laughs> yeah. extremes in science. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's fascinating, isn't it? That that is, you generally draw mm. a man in a white coat. Yeah. A, a doctor, a scientist mm-hmm. is... Yeah. Um, so that's why uh, I am quite vocal on Twitter, perhaps. Yeah. And... Um, I sort of I've done quite a few things like uh, I was involved in a, a calendar called mm-hmm. Science Girl, which uh, <laughs> was a couple of years ago now, and it was a response to um, the European Commission set up this this thing called uh, Science. It's a girl thing, and it was meant to sort of encourage uh, girls at school to think about science as a career. But they made the website itself was actually brilliant. I should say that, but they yeah. made a promo video that was I mean I would I would advise people to go and watch it because it's hilariously awful. And, but and it what's was, it called? So it's, it's it's called if you just search science it's a girl thing on YouTube you'll find it. And we will have a a, a link to that oh, r- uh, right now on excellent. the Acast app so yeah go on go ahead. It's like living in the future. <laughs> <It really is. laughs> but the video was it only featured one person actually doing science and that was a man. And oh, the, wow. it was a lot of women just in the simplicity in, there of in lab coats and high heels, giggling, uh, writing on a, equations. Well, not equations. Lord. Writing on a whiteboard, and then re- close-ups of makeup. Like wow, it was really weird. It's so like yeah, so we made this science calendar. Barbie doll yeah. kind of thing of going. Or, look, look, look! My first science kit as, mm, as for Barbie in a lab coat and yeah, high heels. Pretty much ridiculous. So we made this calendar. Oh, I say we. I was in the calendar and I helped do some of the postage. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, Heather Williams, Anna Zakaria and Louise Crane were the sort of brains behind it. Mm. Um, and it was showed real women who were scientists sort of doing the science that they Actually do. Actually doing science. Yeah, and shows that, like, women doing science are as varied as men doing science, obviously. Yeah. Like, it, and, and it was great. It was, uh, it was 
it looks brilliant. It was really fun thing to be involved of. And sort of accidentally, we created this network of of women in science who amazing. now act as like a support network for each other. And also, Science Girl is still doing loads of amazing things. There are chapters in various cities across the country as well. Yeah. And we've created this kind of peer support group for women in science. And all the money, like we, if ever there's events that make money, we sort of put that into. Um, things encouraging girls at school to get into yeah. science and that kind of thing. So it's it's really amazing thing to be part of. It's fascinating that a communities I like that can just sprout up. Mm. I was doing a thing the other night for a charity called Calm that focused on men's mental health, and we were discussing how it's ridiculous again, or, or men's general lack of comfortableness d- d- discussing yeah, things. Absolutely. I mean, one of our biggest podcasts was with Eddie Temple Morris, and we got it got a huge reaction because we got really into depression and mental health and these kind of things and he was so candid and open about his own experiences but it's generally seen as something that you can't talk about and we would just it, in 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 the panel on stage it came to the point of, of 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 parenthood and how scary that can be on both sides and instantly things like mum's net and all these other mm. things came about that were communities where people can talk about these things and realize other people are having those struggles yeah. and other people are having those problems yet men haven't done anything like that. Mm. It was then argued that if there was a dad's net, it would quite quickly turn into sharing the pornographic immig- images <laughs> and, and nudging and laughing and giggling. And again, avoiding the subjects that are at hand. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing. And again, mm. that, 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 that doing a calendar and realising that there's a bias against women in science, instantly the reaction of the women in science was to go, let's all pull together. Mm. And that doesn't seem to to be the way on the male side, I guess because there's a natural strength um, socially in, 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 in being male that, that maybe we feel there's not that need to group together, but that's why there's so that's such ridiculously high male suicide rates, percentage-wise it's through the roof and things like that. Absolutely. I think there's this incredibly dangerous sort of boys don't cry image that's like pushed onto kids from a young age like women are emotional and men are strong and silent and it's damaging to both women and men and and it's ridiculous dichotomy that just just doesn't exist in the real world yeah humans do cry that's just men or women it's 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 a fact of life that's a Mm. actually an interesting thing about about tim hunt's comment about women crying in the labs is that the only the only experiment that's been done about uh, people crying at work was on psychotherapists and it found yeah. that more male psychotherapists cried at work than oh, female wow. ones. I mean, it was a very small study and it's sort of an, and, an aside. I mean, this yeah. is going off on a tangent, but but crying itself is a fascinating thing of yeah. knowing the, the, of the, the mysteries or mechanics behind it, the fact that we cry at moments of great joy mm. and great happiness and moments of great sadness. It's such a bizarre psychological thing that... Again, yeah. we, we, we don't really understand. It's so weird that it's 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 a negative thing. But also, I said most of the times, or a lot of the times, I've cried. It's been through things that I'm like, man, this is so beautiful. It's this is yeah, so wonderful. Yeah. It's, like, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, where can people keep up to date on anything? You've mentioned you're very vocal on Twitter, so let's give your Twitter out. And yeah, uh, I am at Suzaphone on Twitter, not spelt like the instrument. S O Z. Yeah. Excellent. So S W O Z I A A Suzaf. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. Um, and that's on Twitter. And I guess on there you link to 
your blogs and to, to yeah. everything else that's going on. My blog's on The Guardian. It's called Sifting the Evidence and it's generally found on the science pages of The Guardian website. Perfect. But yeah, also linked to in my Twitter handle. That's perfect. Well, again, hopefully um, everyone will follow you and get some interesting stuff and, and hassle you to get on with starting the podcast because yes. I think that yeah, sounds absolutely do, fascinating. I, I generally think <laughs> that addressing of... And again, even if it's a, a week a, a by a week thing of here's a drug we're going to address, here's this, here's that, um, I'd imagine... your nature of wanting to react and respond would mean some drugs to jump ahead of others depending Mm. on what's going on in the media at that time but again I think that's a fascinating idea to to have out there and even say it was 10 and that's it that's a fascinating thing to have available for people to have that as their reference and go and yeah and they can be updated as the science is updated as well yeah exactly I love that well thank you very much for chatting and for allowing me to come and and come into your home at I mean, before midday on a Saturday morning, it's outrageous, but oh, yeah. it's great. My pleasure. Thank you very it's much. It's great to chat to you. Cheers. You've been listening to Squibbish Pits, the Scratched Pieces. There we go. Episode 53 and a great episode as promised. Um, yeah, I thought that was an amazing chat. That was really fascinating, um, everything she had to say. I think we all need to hassle her on Twitter and and, and, and pressure her to get this podcast on the go because that sounds absolutely fascinating and crucial, a wonderful tool that can be used for um, youths today. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for tuning in, guys. Um, please subscribe and stuff like that. In fact, if you enjoyed this one, we, um, I'd recommend this, the episode with Simon Singh because that was f- fascinating. That was It's a weird one, that, because it's been overlooked quite a bit, but it's also one of the ones I get the most tweets about. So it's not necessarily got the highest downloads, but it's got the highest percentage of people feeling the need to share and in, be excited about it that have listened to it, if that makes sense. So the Simon Sings one fascinating. He brings in an Enigma machine and shows how that works. He breaks down new, he breaks down the maths in The Simpsons and all sorts of interesting stuff. So I'd recommend checking that one out. Obviously, I mentioned Howard Marks on there and um, he's a fascinating one. That's a fascinating episode. Um, we talk about drugs, essentially, and the positives and negatives and his life in general. So... That's worth a look. There's plenty for you to check out and plenty more to come. Um, I'm actually uh, lining up a fascinating one with a lady that um, works in a mortuary, I guess. It's not a morgue, a mortuary. And um, yeah, um, her, 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 her website is is the chick and the dead. Um, and yeah, it sounds fascinating. So we're lining that one up and that should be in a few weeks. So again, subscribe, set to automatic the download support help us climb them charts therefore broaden our reach broaden our exposure and take over the world i'm scroobius pip you can find me at scroobius pip on instagram and twitter or facebook.com slash scroobius pip or youtube.com slash scroobius pip why not eh why not go on youtube just have a look at loads of stuff that's free that's free to do the same as this podcast is free and it's kept free by our wonderful sponsors you can support um Thank you for tuning in. Next week, I have the wonderful Mr. Hugh Stevens, one of my favourite people. Um, And again, it was an amazing chat. He's a DJ. If you've enjoyed the Eddie Temple Morris ones or the Zane Lowe or the uh, John Kennedy, then this is a good one for you. But also, there's some real tricks up there. Um, He gives some great insights into Welsh cult 
a, a Welsh culture and Welsh history. And he also reveals um, a secret passion of his that meant that at the age of 11, he was earning in a particular trade with the best name I've ever heard. So there's a little teaser for you. The best name for a Welsh person in the trade he was he was putting himself out in. So check that out next week. That will be episode 40, 54. This has been episode 53. I'm out.